Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Anna Krusik Podcast. You are listening to episode number 21. It is season two, y'all. Buckle up. I am so excited. This season is going to be chock full of great content for you all about how to be more purposeful, sequential, and joyful in your classroom. We have great guests. We have great requests for different episodes, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. Today on TAP, we're talking all about learning sequences, and this has been a a recent passion project of mine. What I love about using learning sequences is that it's not a method or a prescription for the exact things you have to do in your classroom. Instead, it's a framework for how to effectively facilitate instruction for your students so that they can be the most musical that they can possibly be. It has nothing to do with a set of activities or required media that you have to teach specific concepts with, but instead it's a process that lives and breathes and allows for the flexibility for you, the teacher, to make decisions that best paid the way for your students. So let's go ahead and get on into it. You're listening to the Anna Krusik Podcast with Anne Molesky, the music teacher and curriculum designer behind AnnaKrusik.com. This podcast is all about making your music teacher life more purposeful, sequential, and joyful, so you can take a breath and love each and every moment you spend making music with kids. So grab a cup of coffee and kick up your feet, because it's time for another episode. Now, there are lots of different levels of sequencing, and there's the whole like scope and sequence K through 12 curriculum. There's the grade level yearly plan. There's the weekly plan, the monthly plan, all that kind of stuff. But inside of all of those big overarching plans is a learning sequence. And when I say the word learning sequence, I'm referring to what steps and what phases I need to take to teach a concept to my students. So a learning sequence in anacrusic and terms really has to do with what are the steps, what are the parameters, what is the framework for teaching a concept. And today on the podcast, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how I delineate these phases, how I divide things up into accessible chunks so that I can wrap my brain around what I need to teach my kids. Now, if this is a totally new thing to you, or you just want a little bit of a visual, a little bit more written information that you can refer back to, I have a super special freebie for you in the show notes today. So go to anacrusic.com slash podcast, or you can click the link down below in the show notes, and then find episode number 19, and there will be a link for you to get this PDF that outlines everything I'm going to talk about today. Okay, so this honestly has been one of the most requested episodes. And I think the reason why is because I told myself as predominantly a Kodai-inspired teacher, and everybody knows that Kodai-inspired teachers are experts at sequencing instruction and creating kind of this like scope and sequence curriculum map to effectively lead their students from one place to the next and grow them from all those foundational skills into really, really great lifelong musicians. Now, I do have to say that I know in my bones that Kodai teachers are great at this. I mean, y'all, I teach Kodai and I honestly very, very passionately believe in that 
approach to teaching. And when I go and I teach and I work or I do a workshop or um, I'm doing something kind of in that Kodai sphere, I wear that hat and that's what I bring to the people that I'm sharing with because that's sort of what they signed up for. But when it comes to how I identify myself as a music teacher, and I've talked about this a ton, but how I identify myself as a music teacher just more broadly and with all the other influences that have happened in my life and in my professional life, I draw from different approaches. And I think that all teachers, no matter how they identify If they're a good teacher and they are a thoughtful teacher and a purposeful teacher and all that kind of stuff, then they are going to have a very intentional sequence. And so today, I think that you will see some parallels when I talk about these different phases in what would be a traditional Kodai prepare, present practice. But I've kind of renamed some things because I am sharing how I approach things kind of outside of that Kodai hat. I mean, I can't take it off all the way, right? But at the same time, I might bring in some other influences when it comes to approaching learning. And so I don't want to say this is a hard and fast Kodai-inspired sequence because I'm calling it something a little bit different. Also, I am not Kodai. I am Anne. And so this is kind of the Anne Molesky, Anna Krusik approach to developing and identifying and defining a learning sequence. So with all of that said, we're going to talk about a couple of different phases, and these six phases kind of work in a continuum fashion, obviously, right? Like it's sequential, sequences life, all that good stuff. And I think that you will see some parallels in between, like I said, the prepare, present, practice, but I'm using different terminology today. So if you are predominantly a Kodai-inspired teacher and that triple P is your lifeblood, then I think that you will see the parallels for sure. Um, But from now on, I'm going to kind of depart from saying like, oh, this is the way a Kodai teacher would do it, because really this is just the way I do it. And if this can resonate with anybody and help you at all in identifying how to make instruction more purposeful, sequential, and joyful, then I have done my job. So without further ado, now that I've given all of my like pep talk, pre-talk, whatever you want to call it, I'm going to go ahead and just talk to you a little bit about how I define a learning sequence. The way that I define a learning sequence, sort of the and terms, is all of the different steps that it takes to what I call explore, discover, and extend, and then share any given concept in a music curriculum. And we'll get into these terms in just a little bit. So regardless of whether I'm teaching a rhythmic element, a melodic element, or something in a different category like form or musicality or whatever you want to call it, I still do my best to scaffold each lesson appropriately so that each step I'm about to outline is taken. So not only do I take each step, but I take each step finding as many different ways for students to be musical as possible. So I talked in a different podcast about active music making. I have a blog series all about it. I'm working on a resource, if that's something that you'd be interested in the future all about different ways to go through actually this process, the learning sequence process, using different ways to make music. So here it is. The very first step is actually not anything that you would do with students. And the very first step is gathering resources. And this is the space where you give yourself a chance to sort of get your brain aligned. So say you have this concept you know you need to teach before you even do anything with kids that has to do with this concept in your classroom. You need to really, really sit down and think about how you want to sort of unveil this to your kids. So the gathering phase is all about gathering the songs 
songs, the games, the books, the stories, the instrumental activities, any composition or speech things you might want to do. It's sort of like your brainstorming period. It's the area that you get to be really, really creative and then go on to serve as a facilitator for your kids. So I think a lot of times we sort of jump in and say, oh my gosh, I need to teach this concept, and then we just like throw a song in one day. And while in a pinch that can do the job, I think that you're better off being a little bit more intentional about what things you're bringing to your kids because it's our job to not just throw in a song here that works or throw in a song there that works but to really think about how the whole process is going to look and to think about how the whole sequence is going to look and to make sure we're choosing materials like I said earlier that give them the opportunity to be musical in a lot of different modalities. So I think that if you take this time to really gather resources in terms of each concept and maybe you have a list of things that you love to do for half note or a list of things that you love to do when you teach Ray, like whatever it is, if you take the time to sort of figure out how you're going to teach it this go around, then it's going to save you a lot of headache in the future. Also in the gathering resources phase, it's not just like making your list. I mean, that's the first part of it, but then it's also doing all of the work on the front end. So you're thinking, okay, like if I have this activity or this story or this instrumental thing, where does it fit into my sequence? And so as we go through these steps, you would basically go through this process on your own and think about what it looks like big picture for your kids before you even step foot in the classroom. So the very first phase that you are going to take your students through is exploration. So this is the very beginning stage of getting to know a concept. So it's where you introduce all of the songs and games. It's where you get students to engage with their eyes and their ears and their bodies. And it's also the phase where you're exploring without any overt literacy components. So you're not showing kids notation. You're not necessarily naming anything. You might have icons on the board. You might have short and long things for a rhythm. You might be showing contour on an instrument. You might be doing activities where you're having them show ascending, descending things with their bodies, but you're not showing them any notation, right? Like I think that's another part where we get super duper hung up where we think okay I'm going to teach this concept so here's the notation and go and that's not giving your kids a chance to like get to know it right so in the English language or any language we talk before we read so make sure that you're giving kids a chance to be fluent within the exploration period they get to actually make music they get to actually talk with all of the stuff and then when we get to the next phase that's where we start figuring out the literacy component. So throughout exploration, all of this can be done with a bunch of different mediums. Like I said before, like use your imagination, figure out ways for your kids to experience all of these different concepts through singing, through games, through text, through speech, through movement, through instruments, all of these different things. How can you bring in as many different opportunities for your kids to be musical, even though they don't really know the thing that you want them to know yet? So after they've had all of this time to play and experience and have become fluent in using whatever element it is that you're sequencing or you're about to teach your students, 
we have the discovery phase. And the discovery phase is where you finally pull back the curtain and you connect the exploration, the experience that they had to the literacy component. So this is really essential because the literacy component does not exist in isolation. So you're drawing on students' experience when you bring them to this thing that they can see and read and write with. And so without all of that exploration, the literacy component has no meaning. And that's why I said it's really important to take that time to explore, to let them play, to let all of that stuff mull around their brain before you go on to the discovery moment. Because in the discovery moment, it's going to be crazy quick. (laughs) And I know you're going to think that that doesn't sound right because it's like, okay, well, but now we finally show them notation. But the thing is, is that if they have experienced two sounds on a beat, two short beats, and they've walked it and they've played it and they've hand clapped it or whatever you want to do during the exploration phase, when it comes time to put it into notation, it's just going to click. I think that the discovery point is the quickest phase in this entire learning sequence because you've built so much experience, so much just like personal repertoire with that element before you show it to them. And then it's like, boom, a mic drop, right? Like seriously. So this is the place where we finally take all those things that we've learned and we can speak it, but now we can read and write. So when you're talking about music literacy, I really think about the discovery moment as the literacy component and also like the theoretical constructs, right? And a lot of times I think people or music teachers in general want to say, oh, well, here is this note and this is why it gets this many beats and then you divide it by the beat, but then it exists in this thing and you don't need to do all of that. So this is kind of stepping back from what we're talking about right now in terms of a learning sequence on a micro level. But when you're talking about what your entire scope and sequence looks like, if you are building from the simple to complex, you don't have to go into too much like theoretical stuff. Like you want to explain why this functions the way it does. But I feel like a lot of times if you're just like, oh, I need to teach this note and then you throw it up on the board, you end up talking in circles and kids can't relate back to what they're doing. So that's my little plug for why it's really important to have a scope and sequence like for the beginning of the year to the end of the year. But at the same time, if you've built that going back to this micro level of concept sequencing, if you've built all of that with other concepts, it's super quick within something new. So after the exploration phase and then the discovery phase, which is super quick and sharing that literacy component, we move into the extension phase. And the extension phase is where you can really start to take a step back. I mean, my hope is that throughout this process, you're really thinking about activities that really take you as a facilitator instead of a central role in everything that you're doing. I mean, there's certain things that you have to teach a song by rote or you have to get them the material before you can set them free. And so I start to think about exploration and discovery as giving them that material and then extension is where they kind of get to go free. So I like to say that the 
extension phase is really where the magic happens. So yes, we want to make sure that kids can read and write and do all of that good stuff with whatever concept you've taught them, but this is beyond a typical practice reading and writing and dictation and rapid fire monkey see monkey do. So this is where students truly begin taking ownership over their own learning, their own understanding, and their own creating. So within this phase, this is the place where you can draw on the exploration, the discovery, connect the two, and then sort of give students the opportunity to show you what they know, whether it's through improvisation or composition, and not just on instruments and singing, but also within movement, within maybe some speech things, or come up with something that is really, really true to themselves as a musician, however they feel most musical. So while, yes, the extension phase includes some of that reading and writing and dictation and making sure you can kind of check a box for those literacy components, but that's not where it ends. That's really just the beginning of giving your students the opportunity to show what they can do. So I really encourage you to take the opportunity to give your students a chance to show you what they can do. Um, I think that a lot of times teachers just stop because it's like, okay, they can read it, check. They can write it, check. They can move these puzzle pieces around and kind of compose, check. But that's not really showing you everything that they can do. So think about the extension period as sort of the workshop period for them. Think about it as a chance for them to play even more, but this time they have some concrete musical facts or some objectives or some literacy skills where they can start to put things together more comprehensively. And then that leads right into the next phase, which I call show and tell. So show and tell is sort of the culmination of the learning process. It's where you give students the opportunity to share and explain and highlight they're learning through performance and that can be on a small scale within the classroom or a large scale like a huge performance or project-based learning or however you want to swing it. So it's essential to the process because we're music teachers. <laughs> we are not doing reading and writing and even within those disciplines they take the opportunity to have kids give speeches or do read-alouds to a class and they're sharing their learning and I think that's especially important in music. I mean music is meant to be shared and so if you miss this part in the learning sequence you're really doing a disservice to your kids. So take the opportunity to give your students a chance to perform and that can just be in the classroom it can be for another class it can just be for their own class or it can be as a program or it can be going to a community center I mean whatever works within your situation you could even video or audio record and post to a class blog or you seesaw I mean any of those things work but there needs to be some sort of sharing component where students can show everything that they've created based on what they've explored and they've discovered and and they've sort of played with within this extension, which should really be called like another exploration period. It's just like informed exploration. <laughs> so I think if you can give them the opportunity to do the show and tell, they are going to have such a higher self-efficacy of everything that they've done, and they're going to be more confident going forward with other concepts and other learning sequences. Also, this phase doesn't really 
just refer to the act of showing and telling, but also what other information you can gain from that sharing. So through a show and tell, you can facilitate students either individually in small groups or as a class doing some reflection and doing some self-assessment, which is not necessarily of the final product. I mean, if you've gone through the entire learning sequence and they've done a show and tell, then that's going to be part of it. But I think instead of just assessing what happened in that five minutes, it's a much better track of what students thought or how they feel or what they've learned if you have them assess and reflect on the last five weeks of the process overall. So moving on to the last sort of phase is assessment. And within that assessment, we are looking at, you know, assessing kids as a teacher and also giving them the opportunity to self-assess. And honestly, we have to do some data collection. So I think that within this phase, you can do something that's a little bit more quantitative or qualitative. And so quantitative has to do with like, oh, here's their numerical score. Qualitative has to do with, oh, this is what I observed. Here's the conclusions I can draw from that observation. And I think that both are really, really valuable. I mean, if a kid can't sing in this rhythm and you've been practicing it to kingdom come, then that's something you need to take note of so that you can improve your instruction later on. But I think the money is really where the qualitative is, where you can talk to students, where you can make observations, where they can make observations, and together you can look at the show and tell, you can look at the reflection, and then make some conclusions in terms of assessment from there. So we don't just collect data and we don't just assess to prove that like, oh, we checked the box, like we got them to learn this. I mean, it is somehow measurable in that way, but I think of assessment and data collection to inform and adapt and revise teaching practice. And if your students are thinking about this whole learning sequence as a whole, they're going to be able to give some feedback if you have built that type of relationship in your classroom, which I hope you have, to help you figure out where you need to refine next time and even within the next learning sequence for them. So, I think that gathering that information about and from students is the only way that we can assess ourselves as teachers and make some positive changes for everybody in the learning environment as a whole. Okay, so that was a super fast rundown of how I define a learning sequence. So let me just really quickly recap all of those different phases. So each step is what I call a phase, but there's like a phase within a phase. (laughs) So the very first thing is sort of the pre-teaching, and that's where you're gathering resources. You're gathering materials, and you're going through the process and thinking, okay, this is what I need to teach, and this is how I'm going to teach it. The next three steps are sort of the core learning sequence where you're giving information and then setting students free to run with that information. And so that is the exploration phase where you are giving kids the opportunity to explore and play and be musical just without any literacy components included. The discovery phase is where you add in those literacy components and you bring them to your students through the experiences that they've already had. And then the extension phase is where you kind of do that informed exploration where they're taking all those literacy components, but then they're going off with it and creating something wonderful that they can show and tell. So the last two phases are show and tell and assessment. And as I mentioned, I really think that show and tell and assessment and even some reflection in there, because that's different than assessment, I think. I think assessment is a very weighted term, whereas reflection just implies having 
a discussion or some time to wonder about what happened. And so I think that those three, however, the show and tell assessment and reflection really, really work together to give some student ownership and agency. And throughout this entire process, y'all, like, as you're going through a learning sequence, I mean, you start as a teacher gathering everything that you want to bring to your kids, and then hopefully by the end of it, you have gotten to a place where you have pretty much released control, and not only are they showing you how they can be most musical, but they are also having very informed conversations about what happened, how it happened, and why it was important. So over time, over this learning sequence, over each phase, you're gradually releasing control so that students have a chance to direct their own learning and have a little bit of agency and improve self-efficacy and all that good stuff. Okay, guys, so there it is. If you want to know more, go ahead and head to the show notes. If you are listening on iTunes, you can just click on your screen and there will be a link. Or you can go to anacrusic.com slash podcast and find this episode, tap episode number 21, to get all of the information that you need. And there you can sign up for the PDF guide of everything I've just talked about today. And I've also linked to my recent blog post, which was called Five Benefits of Learning Sequences in Elementary Music. So not only have we talked about about what a learning sequence is today, but I also outlined some of the benefits and why you should be using them in your classroom. If you want more information about how to effectively sequence instruction and the ways I've talked about today about how to develop a sequence, how to make it your own, stay tuned because I'm working on a super special project that I hope to share really, really soon in the coming weeks. Guys, thanks so much for listening. I'm so excited for season two. Really and truly, there are great interviews, great information, all sorts of fun stuff coming your way. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to the Anacrusic newsletter. Make sure you join the Facebook community so that you don't miss miss anything. Thanks for listening to the Anacrusic Podcast. For more details and information from this episode, check out the show notes on anacrusic.com. While you're there, join the TAP Insiders community on Facebook, where you can collaborate with Anne and other music educators. Also, if you found this episode entertaining or informative, don't forget to share with your music besties and leave a review on iTunes.